0: Let's do it. Welcome, one, welcome all to episode three of the Xbox Expansion Pass recorded on October 20th, 2019. I am your host, Luke Lore, the insipid ghost and on this week's episode we'll be talking about google stadia and its impact on the recently launched project x cloud the elite v2 controller has hit the hands of reviewers and will soon be in the hands of consumers and there's some eyebrow raising data on xbox game pass that might just have you scratching your head wondering and at the very least enjoying uh, a couple new games that you may not have otherwise I think the first thing we must begin with this week is Google Stadia. Uh, their controller has been announced by in an article by The Verge that it will only work connected via USB-C unless the consumer is using a Chromecast Ultra at launch now this is nerve-wracking to me my first reaction is yikes that is to say if you purchase google stadia or you dive into that hundred dollar plus founders pack you get that new handy-dandy controller that will not work wirelessly unless you very specifically have a chromecast ultra now lots of people have chromecast ultras the technology is great the technology of stadia is promising rivaling that of xcloud and i'm very curious to see the showdown they have there that said, I can't help but see this as an unforced error in the messaging of what Google Stadia is. Two years from now, won't matter. Google Stadia looks to me very promising technology, and I would imagine it's a market competitor uh, you know, in 20, 2021, 2022. But out the gate at launch, and you only get one launch, it seems to me a huge mistake that Google would be launching with such limited services without the moniker or the tagline Early access beta, or something akin to that. We're seeing with Project X Cloud that you were able to register at the last inside Xbox, and you—they you, are rolling out emails to consumers. I went hands on with it. I got that faded email. I'm excited to talk to you about what that is, uh, and I will in a few minutes. But with with Google Stadia not doing that, they are opening themselves up to quite a few criticisms out the gate. You know, this technology is promising but, uh, you know, or this would have been great but it feels like early access. Da-da-da-da-da. And those will be the headlines that Stadia is facing. Whereas xCloud seems to be positioned a bit better in that they are rolling it out. It is in early access beta form. It is something that they are testing slowly. They're testing with some some impressive titles that are very Twitch based, if you'll forgive the term. You know, Gears 5 is what i play. Played several hours on in Project X Cloud, but they've also got Killer Instinct, a fighting game. They've got uh, Halo Five there, and then Sea of Thieves—all games that are network connected. Uh, and so, I'm very interested to see the directions the two go. Stadia's big thing is that you can rotate from, you know, a Chrome a Chrome window in one aspect, and then a Chrome window into uh, a different computer or a Chromebook or a Chromecast. Uh, the idea that you can rotate in between, but if indeed your wireless controller is not movable or comfortably movable in quick fashion, it seems to me that service is less than thrilling at launch. Now, I am sure this will be rectified over time. My real issue comes with the fact that they did not note this is going to be an early access beta. And as a gamer, I don't want to see that be the message. I don't want to see Google Stadia fail. I don't think it will fail. Fair fail if we're being fair, However, I do think it's going to stumble at launch. But the the power of Google servers is is nearly unrivaled, perhaps better, more suited than the Azure servers, uh, and certainly better than Apple. And what they are putting out there. Uh, That said, it certainly pushes xCloud. It makes them look good by comparison. And let's be clear, while we are the Xbox Expansion Pass podcast and we do focus on news uh, and information as it pertains to the Xbox ecosystem, that's not to say we're all hoity-toity flowers and roses when it comes to to the way Xboxes handle things. But in this particular case, xCloud seems to be doing it well. I went hands-on with it. I spent several hours playing Gears of War 5 this morning and yesterday prior to this recording. In order to test it out, I tested it on a number of different Wi-Fi connections and network connections. Uh, And the truth is, I I jumped into Gears 5, and I walked away impressed several hours later. I linked my Bluetooth controller, which I used an, an Xbox One wireless controller, like a standard wireless controller. Linked it to my phone via Bluetooth and gave it input control. Uh, and then I, I jumped into Gears 5 and started a horde match. Started a horde match because I felt like that would be safer than jumping into Versus right away. Playing it on a Google Pixel 3 with a brilliantly wonderful screen, though it's not one of those, like, XL-type screens, and it wasn't a tablet size, it was just a standard phone size. So I jump into horde mode, and I missed my active reloads for maybe two waves, maybe three minutes worth of time total. After three minutes, I was hitting my active reloads, I was hitting targets. I was I was contributing to the team comfortably without any issue, and uh, I put up a little video on uh, Twitter at uh, Insipid Ghost on, on Twitter if you're interested. Uh, but just a thirty second clip, and it it was it was awestruck. I was awestruck, no doubt about it. It is impressive technology. I did not expect it to work much less in a game like like Gears of War 5 where you need actor reload, where you need precision aiming and whatnot. And uh, just to further test and and confirm my own experience, I dove into Versus. And I played probably an hour, hour and a half of Versus on my phone this past morning with a cup of coffee sitting next to me and could not have been more impressed. The service is, is doubtlessly has has place to grow. There's only a couple titles available right now, and they're rolling them out. But xCloud shows an immense promise and it immediately prompted me to go order a clip off Amazon so that I could clip my phone to my controller. It tells me that uh, this Thanksgiving, this holiday season, I will be more than happy to you know, leave my Xbox at home and just take my phone with me with my phone clip and an extra charger and go and, and rock out and enjoy some xCloud because I won't be leaving some of my favorite games behind. This is absolutely the future. Stadia, xCloud, this is the future. Uh, how many years removed from now, I am unsure. But I was playing an Xbox game studio uh, at near peak efficiency with, with little latency and no real frustrations. And it warmed my heart made me excited. And a couple of you wrote in uh, with a couple of questions about my experience uh, with Project uh, xCloud, and I'm happy to address them. Let's look first at uh, Joel Brooks. Did you experience or any sort of lag? Uh, yes, just a bit, but nothing that, that no screen tearing of any kind. Uh, no delay latency that was not work, that, that was not workable and that I didn't adapt to very, very quickly. Uh, it, it felt good. Uh, what type of internet connection do I have have you tried this on your cellular network yes I did I tried it on 5g uh, felt felt good with uh, Verizon and then I also tried it on my uh, local wireless uh, network and it felt it felt fine I did a speed test this morning and forgot to jot it down but I'll do an, another one real quick just to confirm uh, where I'm at and where I'm running at the moment. Uh, but if it, it felt real good and I was quite pleased with, with where I was at, it was surprising to me how quickly I jumped into matches and how comfortable everything felt. Sound, sound was great. Uh, there was no delay or latency in anything. And without the screen tearing, it was no real issue. Um, so, so there's, there's that Joel. Um, The cellular network stuff, that depends on, I think, the area more than anything because my Wi-Fi is powerful at the house, Um, but, but no real issue there. Uh, Highly Intelligent asks, uh, or rather he states a a slightly different experience, he said, I played yesterday at work with 8 megabytes per second on LTE, and it ran beautifully. Noticeable input lag, he says, but not enough to ruin the game at all, but I wouldn't try uh, anything competitive or a competitive shooting. Another time I tried uh, an LTB at uh, 25 megabits per second, and it was unplayable. Now that's interesting. Now I'll tell you that my speed test just here in this room that's furthest away from my own router... I was getting uh thirty six down eighteen up and that's not typical for me usually I do I do a bit better than that and even with that weak server I, or weak uh, service I was still quite comfortable with Project X Cloud, so take that for what you will I think there's promising technology here. Brendan Myers asks about Project xCloud. He says, uh, for someone like me who does most of his gaming portable, do you think xCloud has the potential to take my attention uh, away from my Switch when I have access to Wi-Fi, or does it feel like it can't compete against an actual console unless it feels like a console? Interesting question, and I would argue the draw of the Switch uh, is not that it feels like a console. The draw of the Switch is that it has that Nintendo charm to it. Uh, I think that if you have xCloud, you are going to comfortably want to use xCloud for games like Doom, for games uh, like Wolfenstein, Call of Duty, Halo, and the like. Those those higher fidelity services, if you have a device like a Google Pixel uh, or, or something that is uh, with, with a high resolution and comfortable better screen than a Switch, you're going to be happy as can be to just pop in and use xCloud. If you want the charm of a Switch or a Switch Lite, then, you're, then that's what you're going to pick up. I don't see this as a replacement for anything like the Switch. I know I love my Switch, uh, and it offers me kind of a versatility with its docked and undocked uh, features. But I can tell you this. It does make me think, okay, how many devices do I need to take with me on a trip? Do I need the tablet? Do I need the phone? Do I need the Switch? Do I need to pack the Xbox all up? And the fact that it gives me more options than I have before, I am pleased with. So I would imagine that you you certainly find yourself you know nixing one for the other from time to time, depending on what's available and what you want to play at the time. Two years from now, uh, Brendan, I bet you're on xCloud. I bet you're comfortably on xCloud. And five, six years from now, when Nintendo um, kind of adopts this approach, I think you'll see yourself uh, quite pleased with the streaming service. Because if this is the direction they're going, all good things to come. Now, I want to transition just a bit over into the Elite V2 controller. It's in the hands of reviewers. When Sean and I were fortunate enough as the Xbox Drive to go to E3 and FanFest, we used Elite V2 controllers in a number of different kiosks and walked away impressed. This, now, this thing ships in, uh, November 4th, I believe. I got to tell you, I ordered one because I was sold on my experience at, at E3, and maybe I was drinking the Kool-Aid. Maybe I was drinking the Kool-Aid because we're surrounded by Xbox branding, we're having a blast, we're being treated like gold. It was one of the best experiences of my life for Sean and I to be there at E3 uh, and be on that Microsoft stage. If I was drinking the Kool-Aid then, I'm I'm still thirsty and I'm still drinking it now. How's that for a metaphor? Because reviewers are saying this is... One of the most incredible controllers they've ever seen. Uh, an incredible weighted magnetic charging dock speaks to the quality. You know, interchangeable buttons here and there, uh, adaptable in three different profiles that you can use, which means that you can have a profile dedicated, uh, you know, f- for, for different gamer tags. But also, it suggests that it could be great for XCloud usage. However, I don't know that I would want to carry around my $180 controller with my phone. Uh, for gaming anywhere and i don't know maybe who knows it's like when you get a new phone and you're like really careful with it and then two months later you're chucking it onto the bed who knows but i will tell you this the elite v2 controller is turning heads left and right it's being described as the bentley of controllers my own personal hands-on time with it uh, at FanFest suggests the same suggests that that is not exaggerated and for 180 dollars for a controller it darn well better be I'm excited for this. This is an early look at what you'll be using on Scarlett because uh, we know that there's Ford compatibility specifically with the Elite V2. I am stoked for it. I am excited about it. I am also scared to death that I will get it and be like, oh, cool controller, and I'm out 180 bucks. Not that it would break. Not that it's it's poorly designed because all, all signs point to the otherwise. But if it's $180, that's a big buy-in, and I can't imagine... Many consumers wanting to jump into that except the most hardcore fans. That is to say, that is who this is designed for. The most hardcore fans are the ones who picked up the Elite v- V1 v and uh, they, Microsoft couldn't manufacture enough of them. So I don't know how well the Elite V2 sells. I know that based on reviews and impressions from those who have early access to it, this thing looks like a monster. It looks powerful. It looks incredible. I'm excited to check it out. No doubt about it, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to play it, or play with it, rather. I want to know how it runs with Gears. I'm curious to try it on Call of Duty. I was hoping to try it on Doom, but we'll we'll play that in March uh, bottom line, controllers are controllers are the way that you interact with your system more than anything else. And like having a good pair of shoes, a good set of tires on your on your vehicle, and a good mattress to sleep on, they're the things that you might overlook as being what affects your overall experience. And I'm anxious to try it out. I'm really anxious to try it out you know, in my home controlled environment. You know, super intense matches uh, with, with gears and Call of Duty and the like. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm also very curious to see how, if this ships in early November, how it impacts the market season, and if it helps even move the needle for Microsoft's fans. I don't think it'll move consoles. That's not what I mean. I just mean that, you know, will this turn heads? Will people be diving in? And I wonder. I, I really do. GameIndustry.biz uh, released an article that really talks about moving the needle for uh, Microsoft and Xbox Game Pass subscribers in that uh, with their research and their data, 91% of Game Pass subscribers have tried a game they would not have played before joining the service, 91%, that means of all the subscribers, uh, 9 out of 10 are trying new games and, and diversifying their genre preferences, checking something out that wasn't normally in their wheelhouse. I know I have done that many a time with games large and small, and the most, the most recent one that I'm looking forward to, or rather the, the most uh, implement, inclement, inclement one, is uh, The Outer Worlds. I was not into The Outer Worlds. Sean and I, again, at that same E3 conference, we went behind closed doors, we looked at uh, The Outer Worlds, Sean left impressed as a, as a strong Fallout fan, as he should be, and I was like, oh, cool, they've clearly put a lot of love into this. Obsidian and Private Division have something special here, but it wasn't something that, that turned my head because that was not my type of game. That's not something that's typically in my wheelhouse, not one that I typically look for. And in leading up to tour to our launch uh, later this week... I find myself really looking forward to it. The idea that I have access to it with no harm, no foul. If it's not for me, I move right on because it's in Game Pass. That suggests to me, hey, why not check this out? And if 91% of Game Pass subscribers have a similar mentality with what it is they're checking out, that's cool. Now, to me, that's not the most interesting stat. Within this same article, they also note that uh, Game Pass subscribers are playing 40% more games overall that is to say, before they had Game Pass, they played uh, you know X amount of, of of gaming or X amount of time spent in games. Now they're playing 40% more games overall, and 30% of that is outside of their typical genres. Now that's just, you know, that's number salad to anybody who's, who's not paying attention closely, and I encourage you to go check out the article and GameIndustry.biz. They're good stuff. Uh, but what this tells me is of all the the questions about how, how is Game Pass going to make money, how are, pe- are people going to buy Halo, buy Gears 5, well, you know, we saw Crackdown and State of Decay and Sea of Thieves, how did that move the needle? An article like this from a vetted source uh, coming out on the 18th of October tells me that this is good stuff, that Microsoft is on to something that they wouldn't otherwise be, and ahead of a new generation – Getting people buying into that service, getting people into the Xbox ecosystem, gaining achievements, subscribing to Xbox Live or Game Pass Ultimate or just Game Pass Solo. Uh, and being exposed to more, more economies, more gaming ecosystems, more conversations, they're buying more games. They're playing more games, which is the overall goal. Let's not, let's not you know, mince words. It's Microsoft wants to make money. And there is no reason as gamers and as consumers we can't benefit from their desire to make money. Their uh, current placement of second or third place, depending on perspective, uh, their idea that they're not number one in the market means they want to work for your time. And if a company is going to work for my dollars and work for my efforts uh, and for me to invest in them, then I'm a much happier consumer. And that is what happened uh, this past generation where I was PS4 at launch. Still love my PlayStation 4. Still play it uh, on the regular. But When Microsoft switched over to the Xbox One S, changed their messaging, adjusted their services, brought in EA Access, and then paved the way for Game Pass, Uh, there was something special about that, and I felt valued as a customer. And valued as a customer means I get more stuff, I can play more things, be exposed to more content, and enjoy the hobby that I enjoy so much, and that's really cool. The article went on to, to draw a number of comparisons to Blockbuster and Netflix and how this it may at sometimes be fair comparisons and other times not, but my question to any listener right now is, Have if you are a Game Pass subscriber, be it Ultimate or Standard, have you tried a game that you otherwise wouldn't have? Whether you stuck with it's not the question. I would like to know if you are playing something that wasn't typically for you, and if you have... What was it? What was your experience like with it? And did you find yourself continuing to branch outside your normal comfort zone? Because I find myself being in part of more conversations simply because I have checked out Game Pass. People are able to engage with me and discuss uh, about, about games that they otherwise wouldn't have. Metro Exodus is a wonderful example of this. Metro Exodus is a game I wanted at launch, missed it for any number of reasons, be it review codes, timing, school, what have you. Then getting to dive in and experience a game of that quality, but a unique flavor, uh, allowed me to experience more of the Metro franchise. That's cool. I was able to explore more uh, more horror titles by way of Dead Island and a few others just because they were in Game Pass. Uh, that, to me, is the greatest value of what Game Pass offers. So, you know, call a spade a spade. Take that for what you will. We're seeing PlayStation Now echo similar trends. You have to imagine the Epic Game Store and Google Stadia and so many other places are, are looking at this setup and wondering how they should or could uh, get into a service like this. Should they compete with a service like this? We know Ubisoft and, and EA are continuing to adjust theirs. Uh, I recently resubscribed to EA Access because I wanted early access to Plants vs. Zombies uh, Battle for Neighborville. Curious to see how that goes. Uh, it, I played a few minutes of it uh, this morning and, and liked what I saw. It's the first PVZ game I've played since the original because uh, so, I never played uh, Garden Warfare. It's cool stuff. It is cool stuff. More games for more people is excellent. And, and I'm happy to see services like this making a dent and allowing Microsoft to, to float when they're being outsold from Sony 2 to 1. Those are good signs. I think those are great signs, and I'm anxious to see how that, that, that comes to pass later on. Other news uh, that's recently hit and made me excited, Jedi Fallen Order. There are exposés, there is information out there about what it was. On last week's episode, I discussed the fact that uh, I'm getting this game regardless. I want it, I'm having it, this is going to be for me because it's a Star Wars game, and I have no idea what the game actually is and if I'm going to like it. More news reports coming out. Developers uh, are are opening up and sharing with journalists and influencers alike, uh, and this game looks to be far larger than we ever thought. A Metroidvania Zelda esque approach with with dungeon like qualities, big bosses a la Dark Souls or Bloodborne, uh, but without the difficulty therein. And if that's the case, I'm going to find myself enjoying quite a bit if I feel like a Jedi. Even if it's not Force Unleashed style, even if it's not a 2D platformer Super Star Wars style, I'm going to enjoy myself. Give me a lightsaber, let me enjoy myself, let me be overpowered uh, and OP, and tell me a wonderful story. I'm in. I'm in in a heartbeat. Jedi Fallen Order, it, it's gone gold, I believe, made by a Respawn who's never made a bad game, crushing it with Apex. Titan Falls 1 and 2 were fantastic. I'm anxious and I'm excited. But I've gone back and forth on this game. I don't want to, you know, send the wrong narrative here that, that Ghost suddenly, uh, suddenly loved it and always loved it, and that's the case. Nope, 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 nope. I knew it from talking to them at E3 that they had been building a team separate from, from first-person shooters, uh, but I didn't know what that truly meant. I didn't know if I was getting Uncharted, if I was getting Dark Souls, if I was getting something else. It looks like I'm getting a little bit of all that in the Star Wars universe, and that's cool. After all the frustrations of Battlefront 2, after Amy Henning's game, 1313, give me a good Star Wars game. Pave the way for more Star Wars games. Rise of Skywalker's on the horizon. Give me something good there. Lego Star Wars, I'm in there. Uh, that's something I'm looking forward to. No doubt about it. I want to play Fallen Order. I want to play The Outer Worlds. I want to play Modern Warfare. I want to go back and play. Uh, what is it? Borderlands 3. I missed that one. Uh, I want to do all these things. And what a great time of year because even though games are going to hit fast and furious, uh, sales come up. We got Black Friday. You know, I think it's roughly a month away, a little over a month away. Uh, we're going to get sales there. People are going to be getting games for, for a different holiday gifts and the like, uh, and I would recommend it. I recently had to buy a, uh, a new Xbox, and I'll tell you about that in, in the latter portion of the show because it's a pretty personal story, truth be told. Uh, but, but there you go. Another question came in from Adam Leonard, and he says, What do you think of the fragility of hardware these days? I've had issues with every console I've owned in the last two generations. Why can't these things hold up anymore? And that is a curious question. Now, I know Adam it, it, Adam did the music for the show, and he does a number of art for quite a few in the podcast community. Uh, the Art of Adam L. on Twitter. Uh, Adam, I think it simply speaks to the complexity of the systems you're playing. Uh, every system now, even, even the more uh, simplistic... Nintendo platforms have more complicated technology in them. When Nintendo decided to not go the route of competing with the HD twins and trying to have the most powerful graphics, they still put a number of new technologies into their controllers, uh, into the IR sensor, although that was you know, pretty low-tech. But the, the idea that you have controllers that use gyroscopes, that use different rumble features, the Switch uh, Joy-Cons having HD rumble, which was eventually abandoned in the Switch Lite and, and that's good, I think. Um, and, and the more complex flex you try to make the interface which is the the reality is the interface of, of video gaming hasn't changed all that much controller in your hands button does this button does that combinations of buttons do combination of actions uh in the in the events in question so the interface can only change but so much and so we see developers and uh we see Console makers trying to, to to refine that over and over again. And in the case of Nintendo, they they, they put new technologies into their controllers, uh, ended up with Joy-Con Drift, tried to make it more versatile by, by splitting off the controllers, and made themselves more vulnerable to... I guess you would say wear and tear, because they're smaller, you got more hands on them, or more nooks and crannies for greasy fingers, or any other dust particles to get in there and manipulate or mess up the controller, and you know, with the Switch Lite, they've tried to, to nix some of that, and so that's part of it. When it comes to the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 4 Pro, I mean, that's a that's a, a very powerful set of technologies. The, the, the launch PS4 was incredible, did a great job, but eventually couldn't handle a number of the stress and the fan would just spin up and spin up and it sounded like an airplane taking off because it was trying to do so much with with its architecture when you look at the xbox one s and x i mean they revamped and restructured the hardware if you've ever picked up an xbox one x to any listener who might be an s uh user or an original user or maybe you have the sad edition an xbox one x is heavy and i mean heavy you pick those things up, and it's like you're picking up a couple bricks. Uh, and it's because they're packed full of technologies trying to, to produce the best audio, the best visuals in 4K for this generation. And I can only imagine that complexity becomes uh, even more so in the next gen if you're going to have local hardware. Part of the, the allure of things like PlayStation Now, things like Project X Cloud, things like Google Stadia is that you'll eliminate a lot of that fragility. But even your cell phones are more complex than they've ever been. The cost of a cell phone, a smartphone, I should say, uh, has gone up tremendously, so much so that they want you on payment plans. Now, for anyone that doesn't know, payment plans were very normal in Europe for a long time, uh, and they, they came to North America a bit late. We were used to kind of buying our phones every two years uh under contract but now like phones are what are they like a thousand dollars to get a decent like high-end one uh for the latest make of google or galaxy or, or apple it feels absurd in a number of ways and yet uh capitalism wins out man if people buy it people spend the money there you go and so the fragility of hardware comes from the complexity of hardware just to be clear i think um that's just the reality when you're trying to get the most out of your system uh you're going to you're going to have more things that can go wrong with it the more you're trying to do Uh, simple as can be that's why you that's why you see you know automobiles designed the way they are simple tends to run better for a longer time but you have a lot less options to go with more goes wrong the more you try to do so I i wonder how we see project scarlet shape up with that I wonder how we see PC technology because we all you ever hear from PC players is how they're having to get a new graphics card or interchange this part or a cooling fan and whatnot. And it's cool, like the allure of that is building it and designing it and trying to get the most out of your your build, and that's cool. Uh, but I, it's also why I prefer the the PlayStation Microsoft approach uh, and the Nintendo approach in and of itself, which I think is a different goal. You know, I, I'm tangentially raving here, but I think it's really neat to see. Sony going one direction towards PlayStation 5, towards its next-gen. Microsoft hedging its bets in a couple different technologies, looking to me to be the most versatile of the upcoming stuff. Uh, and then Google Stadia kind of doing its thing, where it's full streaming. And then lastly, Nintendo doing its own thing. You essentially have four different major players uh, hedging their bets on new technologies. But, you know, I would argue that with the exception of Stadia, all three, Nintendo Microsoft and Sony, are prepared for their plan to not quite work and, and skew it into other territory. If, if Microsoft specifically has to make such a hard left or hard right turn the way they did in this past generation, getting away from that launch Xbox One, getting away from some of the, the policies and the mindsets that they uh, were perhaps ahead of their time but messaged so poorly that it offended consumers, offended me, uh, I'm happy to see that happen. But I'm very curious to see... Uh, if they are able to adapt and sharp right turn away from anything else again. And I think they've all set themselves up to not make that same mistake. I love what Jim Ryan is saying out of Sony. The idea that, historically speaking, the winning team doesn't do well in the next gen because of that hubris. And it is because of hubris and failed hubris that we have great services like Game Pass Ultimate, like PlayStation Now's evolved form, like xCloud, like Stadia. Uh, and I, And I'm very pleased with that. I'm wondering also how pricing structures work into that. Uh, and that leads me to kind of my my final thesis. Uh, Mr. Glorious One asks, what do you think has been the thing that has defined this generation? Uh, and my thesis for this week or my discussion point was uh, to look at Gears 5 pricing structures and Call of Duty pricing structures uh, because they're trying to maintain Maintain economies in games that are $60 initially, but really you can get them cheaper, uh, but they want to keep you into their game, but it's not called a subscription, they call it a battle pass, you see Apex do this, you see a number of games that that utilize microtransactions to offset server costs, offset uh, content uh, production, for lack of a better dis- discussion point there. And you see it done well. You see it done poorly. I think if anyone that's following Gears 5 knows that the Gears 5 is incredible as a game. But its in-game economy is absolutely borked. It is Messed up the idea that, that characters or premium characters can cost you know seventeen dollars for a two pack is ridiculous. It that's that's ridiculous. But those are promotional Terminator packs. The new stuff they released the Cog Gear, General Rom, and a few others. Uh, those can be earned in game and they're not that egregious. But it's still five bucks per character if you don't want to grind it out in game. They also gave you a lot of content at launch, but but weapon skins can still be you know a couple bucks for just a weapon skin. And like, how do you balance that as a a major developer who wants to profit from your game and also serve your community fan base? Fortnite's done it, I think, fairly well. They've done a great job, and Fortnite is is an aberration having its power, but it did kind of bring in the idea of a battle pass and and bring that to other platforms. Call of Duty recently announcing that it's not going to have traditional loot boxes or surprise mechanics, as EA would say. But without loot boxes, we see... We see this this new battle pass structure. I want to know what that means because I hear that initially, and I'm like, sweet, Call of Duty's getting it right. And I don't, I'm not one to hate on Call of Duty. I actually like many of their games. But again, calling a spade a spade, let, let's be totally blunt. Activision has a horrible track record when it comes to serving consumers well with their eco- economical structures. Crash Nitro Racing, uh, the, the latest Crash Racing game, played it, liked it. It's hard, but it's cool. Uh, they they released it, they got their review scores, and then all of a sudden bam, they changed the economy and they changed the way it interacts with the player. and it seems like uh, Call of Duty might make this route or might change it and it's it's a cruel it's a cruel ploy by game companies to do something like that to release to get their reviews and then drop in. Uh, their new pricing structures. So, to, to go back to the initial question from Mr. Glorious One, you know, what's been the thing for you that has defined this generation? Uh, I would argue that apart from technologies and controllers and any specific or one game, it's been the evolution of microtransaction, loot box, and battle pass economies. Seeing each one of these kind of play their route, get the backlash from from fans, consumers, and a capitalist market kind of force the hand. Uh, versus you know kind of uh, a vocal minority that's speaking out online I don't know where it's going to end up but I know that the more people outcry and then spend that same money whilst they outcry you have a problem people must consistently continue to vote with their wallets boycotts are are not necessarily silly but boycotts are often an overused word the idea that people are going to boycott blizzard Titles or boycott, uh, you know the latest upcoming trend of X, Y, or Z. That's fine. Anybody, anybody is able to do that, and you should do that. You should vote with your wallet. But if you are to speak out largely against something and then go and participate in it themselves, then it must not have offended the gamer, the consumer that much. So the evolution of economies is something that I'm, I'm, I have a vested interest in. I'm curious about, particularly as we move towards. What are likely going to be more expensive systems, whether that has to do with kind of import tax current, you know, as related to the political arena right now, uh, or if it's just the fact that the technologies are that advanced and we have to we have to offset those costs or it's the Game Pass subscription service. Is it going to go up? Is PlayStation now going to go up They're right now? They're racing to the bottom. Thank you, Apple Arcade. Thank you, Stadia. Thank you, Game Pass. Thank you, uh, PlayStation Now, because. I'm playing more games cheaper than I would have otherwise, and that's a cool thing. That's a cool feeling. So that is that is essentially the end of the content portion of, of episode three this week of X, the Xbox Expansion Pass, but I don't want to end the show just yet. I want to tell you kind of a neat interaction or story that I went through. Uh, my Project Scorpio was dying and has essentially died. I was finding that I could not stream it um, it's an Xbox One X Project Scorpio edition, very special to me, and uh, I was trying to make it last out until Scarlet. And it's strange for me to get sentimental about things. I don't typically get sentimental, particularly not about plastic boxes that let me play video games. But I do get sentimental about the experiences I have with them and courtesy of them. You know, I look back at my fond memories of Super Nintendo or the Vita or PlayStation 4's you know, launch years or playing DC Universe. You know, we all have those wonderful gaming memories that bring us together the project scorpio edition xbox one x was a metaphor for me it it brought me into a content creation community i started streaming on mixer with it uh kind of met or rather got close to sean capri and did the xbox drive for a year which is one of the best experiences of my life Uh, and you should support that show but absolutely go support that show he and ryan are doing a great great thing over there um but the Xbox One X Project Scorpio Edition, what a cool, wordy, strange name. You know, we hear about it at the S launch, and then they kind of pay homage to the fact that it was called Project Scorpio and what it meant, and the fact that it was dying meant I had to get a new one, because you can't have an Xbox podcast stream on Mixer and not have uh, not have a unit, and so I... I went to go unhook the Xbox or the Scorpio. I went to go unhook it so that I could I could trade it in because it was still working well enough that you could trade it in, even if you got a little bit less for it. Um, but I found myself just not able to do it. I got real emotional while I did it. I was like, I have too many good memories and too many good things have happened to me. Streaming on Xbox Canada's page with Sean, going to E3 and FanFast and whatnot, kind of because of this unit, because of, because of the things I got to do on it. And it's a plastic box. I get that. But it was a cool feeling to think that, you know, I walked downstairs, I looked at my wife, and she just saw it in my face, and she's like, you don't have to trade it in. Uh, and so I didn't, and we, we just, we, we swiped the card, and uh, I am now here. I'm the proud owner of a Gears of War 5 Xbox One X. It's gorgeous. It's got that, that laser-sculpted ice finish to it. Uh, I got all the Gears games digital codes that I'll be able to give away. Uh, I'll be able to return a wonderful favor by Brendan Myers. Who let me uh, try out and use his Ice Kate skin from having the Gears controller, the Ice Kate controller? Uh, I can now return that to him, which I'm excited about, and it's a it's a cool thing to to get to continue to be part of an Xbox community, to have a show that I'm I'm proud of, to have a show that many people have been you've been wonderful to listen to and subscribe to. I've got I've gotten ratings on iTunes. People have been checking out the podcast is growing very quickly, and uh, to kind of have that moment where I decided I just didn't want to take it home. Or I'm sorry, trade it in. I wanted to put it on my shelf. It now sits on my shelf. It looks at me while I can play games. It's got my Project Scorpio controller never used next to it. It's a cool keepsake, and it reminds me that it doesn't matter what system you play, but if you have great memories from it, uh, you're able to enjoy so much more, and you get to call yourself back to all the great memories you had playing those games and meeting people of, of all different types from all over the world, and that's a cool feeling. That's why we, that's why we play games. connects us all and, and brings us great joy. And I think that's a great place to end it. I'm going to be enjoying my new Gears controller my new Gears system with its cool startup sounds. Uh, I'm going to be enjoying posting this episode and thanking so many of you guys for listening. If you would like to reach out, uh, engage with me on Twitter or on Mixer, both of those handles are at InsipidGhost. Uh, I love seeing you guys in, in Mixer streams. Love talking to you on Twitter. and Those, those are great times. Uh, and, of course, if you're able to, to spend the time and subscribe to the show, share it with a friend, uh, or even rate it on your podcast service of choice, uh, that means the world. That helps, that helps me and the channel grow. And constructive feedback is always appreciated. All right, guys, that's going to be it for me. Take care, everyone. Have a wonderful week. Play some games. Enjoy yourselves.